Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, David, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour of the year ahead for stocks, whether the best trade of 2023 might be at risk. We will ask the investment committee, making some moves today, too, you need to hear about. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Liz Young, Joe Terranova, and Steve Weiss. Check the markets. We are mostly lower. Dow has turned green, though. VIX up, yields up, oil up. Some of last year's biggest winners are today's biggest losers. Guys, I'm talking about the likes of NVIDIA, up better than 200% last year, down today. Meta up huge. Royal Caribbean, Uber, Carnival, AMD, Pulte, Palo Alto, for example, all lower. Um, I feel like Weiss, we come into this year, the big question is whether it's time to trim across the board. After this massive run that we had from November, Kramer this morning said trim across the board. I don't care how great it is. There has to be some discipline on the mega caps. Maybe it's time for them to cool off. They're up so much. Multiples are out of whack. I look at you today and I see that you've trimmed both Meta and Microsoft. I have. And look, my views on those particular equities have not changed at all. The positions got almost irresponsibly large. I mean, candidly, they were over 40% of the portfolio because of the growth we've seen them. And while I would never get that large in names that don't have the underlying fundamentals and don't have the core values, the intrinsic value of these companies, I just didn't believe we are going to have the same experience. I still think they'll outperform this year, yeah. but to the degree that they did, um, you know, I, I don't think they'll do it this year. Now, I actually sold them on Friday and a couple others, which we'll go through, because I think everybody had the same idea as me. Joe and I were talking about it last week, and I said, you know what, in January, I'm going to pay her back. But as, that's what everybody wanted to do. So I took a look at... Basically, you're putting off taxes for for investors for a year. Then you've got the value of money. And it's, you know, like, what's that worth? What's the trade-off worth? So I just thought, look, let me trim. They're now positions that I'm comfortable holding. And I don't see myself selling anymore. I don't view them as overvalued, particularly with the fundamentals they still have and what's in front of them. So I wouldn't sell for the sake of selling. I wouldn't sell them down from core positions. But I just thought it was prudent to take some off the table. But do we, Josh, do we agree? Agree with Kramer that in terms of, you know, the mega caps, they were up so much, um, and you can love all the names. I mean, it's not like you're throwing shade on any of the names or the fundamentals behind it. But when an Apple's up near 50 percent and Microsoft near 60, Alphabet same, Amazon 80, Nvidia and Meta, as you know, up just astronomical gains of last year, are the multiples now, in his words, out of whack? Do you do you agree with that? And is it time to trim across the board? You can't argue that Apple is cheap based on its own history. You can't. That's not the, I don't hear any Apple bull saying the stock's cheap here. That's not the argument for owning it. The argument for owning it is you've got a ton of stability. You've got just insane, in dollar terms, amounts of cash flow. You've got the ability to buy back stock. And you have this wild card where when they launch the wearable, if it turns out that that's the dawn of a new era of, of hardware, maybe a lot of people who have been out of the name will have to take a second look at it. That's the bull case for Apple. The bear case is simple. It's a 30 trailing PE, a 27 forward PE. Look back over the last 10 years, it averages 18. So it is almost double its long-term average uh, multiple. And it's really easy to make the case, to Weiss's point, hey, I don't know the taxes anymore for, for last fiscal year. Calendar rolls over. Maybe I'll take some off today. And the downgrade, I think, was perfectly timed to coincide with that. Mm -hmm. And I would also argue, you know, welcome to the new world. Um, And in the new world, the activity of retail buying and selling almost doesn't matter in terms of day-to-day moves in the market. What moves the market is basically three categories of things. Number one, RIAs, the wealth management channel. It's 15,000 firms now managing a record $114 
trillion with a T dollars. And what do they do at the start of every year? The centralized CIOs who control that amount of money, they do a rebalance. And what do you think they're going to do? The NASDAQ went up twice as much as the S&P last year. That's an obvious uh, trim of NASDAQ, maybe add of Dow. And I think you're seeing that play out. Look at lifecycle funds, another $3 trillion bucket of assets. What do you think they're doing? They're doing these same kinds of year-end rebalancing going into the new year. Um, the other category I think is worth pointing out, 401k assets. You'll see a lot of the large 401ks automatically do these types of rebalancing trades. So it's not a shock after one of the best years ever for mm -hmm. NASDAQ. We see NASDAQ names leak on the first day of the year. People put off paying the taxes and rebalancing is happening uh, system-wide. Right, Liz. I mean, the, the CNBC's MAG7 index was up 107%. The tech sector, 56%, best year since 2009. Um, you did have the Apple downgrade, which we'll get to in a second, but the sort of broad view of trimming winners and maybe looking at laggards, which is how this day seems to be setting up as we start 24. Well, some of it, there's, I think there's a couple things going on today in particular, and maybe that will play out through the week. The narrative at the end of 2023, almost for the entire fourth quarter, was year-end rally, year-end rally, has legs, will continue, and then in January and February, maybe it conks out. And that narrative drives people's behavior. Steve sort of made this point before. If everybody else is going to start selling in January, well, I, I might sell too, just so that I don't end up on the wrong side of that. And then think about all of these names, just to make it general, if a name is up 130%, let's say somewhere between 100 and 130%, is that stock, is that company 100% better than it was a year ago? Or was that driven largely by a rate move, by inflation falling, by the environment that we're in, by the macro forces, in which case the fundamentals might be okay, the company's still healthy, maybe has growth potential, but it's prudent as an investor to take some profits and just do, even if you're doing a manual rebalance, rotate into the stuff if you're bullish that you think hasn't kept up and make sure that you're deploying into things that still could win for 2024. In terms of multiple expansion, not all mega caps are created equal either. Joe, let's be clear. Yes, a year ago, Apple's forward PE was 20. Today it's 28. Microsoft's was 23. Today it's a little over 30. Alphabet's was 17, it's a little over 20. And Meta's was 15, it's a little over 19 because it came from the worst year ever in 22 to its best year ever in 23. However, Amazon, for example, a year ago was at 46 times, today it's 41. NVIDIA, people look at and say, oh my gosh, look at what the stock did. Multiples actually come in. It was 34 times a year ago and today it's 24 times. So what do you do with those? I think what you do with those is you analyze how you own these names and you say to yourself, can I expose myself from a risk standpoint to what happened this morning between six o'clock and 635? And that's the Apple note drops, the S&P futures from six o'clock to 635 declined 36 handles because Apple 6.9 of the S&P 500. Right. So since we mentioned the downgrade twice, hold your thoughts just for two seconds. Let's just make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. It's Barclays today downgrades it to underweight. They say it's time for a breather. It's the crux of the kind of conversation that we're having right now. The target goes down a dollar to 160 from 161. Um, yes, they've had these you know consecutive quarters of declining revenue growth. So people are questioning where the fundamentals are relative to where the multiple has grown to. To Josh's Correct. point, you're well above the 10-year historical average. Absolutely. So just to get that on the table, everybody knows what we're, we're specifically talking about with and, this and downgrade. It's, and it's absolutely fair to look at the valuation, which Josh and everyone on the show has already cited and understand the valuation is certainly richer today than it was one year ago. And what do you have to your benefit? You have to your benefit that fundamental conditions at the end of 2023 lined up in a way where you could talk about broadening out and rotating away from the Magnificent Seven, not rotating away in terms of ownership, but rotating away in the degree in which you own these names. And I think what's very clear at the end of the year and coming into today is that it's a crowded trade. We know it's a crowded trade, the Magnificent Seven. You're not going to capture 107% again in 2024. So you study your portfolio and you say to yourself, okay, how do I want, I want to continue to own these names, but to what degree do I want to own these names? And I think it's without question, it's fair to say to yourself, they're richly valued and it's a right time to trim them. So what are you saying? Like 
trim just a couple of percent across the board. I don't want. I, I think that's the point that that Kramer was making today when when I think David asked him, you know, so what do you mean trim across the board? How much are we talking about? Ten percent? He's like, no, 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 not ten percent. Maybe a few percent. But that's that's a great question. And and the response I have to that, as someone that is managing a, a fund, is do not be afraid. Do not be. Do not be afraid about what happened last year. See, because last year, if you did not have the 6.9% exposure to Apple, you underperformed in 2023. All right, 2024 is here. I don't care. I'm not increasing my exposure to 6.9% in Apple, and I'm not going to try and mirror the S&P 500. I'm going to try and deploy capital in a way that identifies where's my risk exposure first, and to me, the risk exists in the Magnificent Seven having an extreme valuation. I don't know. Accord today, Liz, comes out and says that select mega caps have room for multiple expansion. So, you know, they're not looking at the list that we said and saying, wow, these are well above five of the seven or whatever, or well above their historical average. Um, maybe it's time to peel those back. They're saying, no, no, we think that Meta, Google, and Amazon can, can um their, their multiples are, region, are, are reasonable and, and they could expand further? Sure, and stock picking will probably continue to be the, the technique of choice in 2024. When you talk about it though as a broad group and think about just multiples, we know this, I've said this I'm, I'm sure on this program multiple times, PEs are a terrible timing mechanism. You don't use them to decide whether or not you're gonna buy or sell today. What they are good at is looking out over a 10-year time horizon and saying that if the PE is really high relative to its own history, relative to its industry group, it suggests that returns in the next five to 10 years are going to be muted. Doesn't mean they're gonna be negative, but they'll be muted. So if you're looking for something that's going to outperform the broader group, you do wanna be careful about the ones that are very obviously stretched, very obviously crowded or very obviously dominating a broader market move. I mean, Weiss, Dan Ives today says NASDAQ 20,000 is, is uh, his bull case. He thinks the tech could be up 25% in 2024. Now, that sounds tremendous, if only compared to this past year where they were up 50%. Yep. Um, but are, what about that optimism? Is for a back-to-back outperform, I mean, I think 25% would, would end up being yeah. outperforming Look, let's put it in perspective. Right now, you know, yes, the stocks had a phenomenal, phenomenal year in 23, but they had a horrendous year in 22. So a lot of that move was a reversion to the mean, to the normal PEs. Now, if you look at the historical PEs of both Meta and Microsoft, they're slightly elevated, no question. It's not unprecedented territory, particularly for Microsoft. But I don't see the market being up 25%. And that's basically what you'd have to see for tech to be up 25%. I think it's gonna be kind of a muted year. I don't think the debate personally is settled about whether we go into recession or not. I don't believe there are gonna be six cuts. Uh, I still think inflation to be somewhat stubborn unless we have a recession. So bottom line is, I think we're in, you know, maybe, you know, an 8 to 12% return in the market, which means that given the weighting, and Josh looks at this all the time, so it'd be great to get his view, being the weighting of those mega cap stocks is still going to dwarf what the rest of well, the market but th- does. That's why, look, the, Dow, the Dow's at the highs of the day. Russell's gone uh, marginally positive. S&P weighted down because the Nasdaq's getting yeah, No, absolutely. Smoked, absolutely. Right. Which is my point. So so I still think that group, and you know, we'll get to this, but I still think that group will outperform. I just don't see the big performance because I don't see the reversion to the mean. I'm wondering. I think, I, I think it's important to point out why these stocks have gotten the premium that they've gotten. And Apple is a really great case in point. Apple was not always an expensive stock. Uh, in fact, if you look at the period from the great financial crisis oh, up until yeah. COVID. Almost, if you stripped out the cash, it was like, what, 11, 9, I think 10, Icon 11, was buying like 12 that. times earnings. Yeah, like okay. it, it was low double digits, mid double so you digits. Have this period, G, so you have this period, you have post-GFC, let's start that in like 2009, heading into the pandemic. It's about 11 years, stock average 16 times earnings. There were people making the case that it was expensive, by the way, during that period of time. Obviously, in hindsight, we know it wasn't because they delivered far in excess of anything that we ever thought any quote-unquote hardware company could actually do, especially when they started to de-emphasize hardware sales in their quarterly reporting and tell you about services. Okay, that was then. 
Here is now, the post-COVID period, Apple is averaging 29 times earnings. If you look at every quarter. It, it all of a sudden got re-rated after COVID and has never reverted back. In fact, there was one quarter traded at 41 times earnings, uh, December of 2020. So all of a sudden, we've decided that Apple's average PE is, should be, I'm saying we, the market, should be double what it was in the previous period. Why is that? I think the answer is consistency of profits. Apple's profit margins have been remarkably consistent in this last four-year period, almost no matter what you threw at the company. Problems with, chi- problems with China, problems with supply chains, problems with uh, com- competitive threat. It almost did not matter, and that's why we value those services at higher levels than we would just value ordinary uh, mobile phone sales. Margins grew at a 5% CAGR over that period of time. Uh, 12 quarters, you only saw two of those with contraction. That means margins were rising almost every time they reported. If you think that that materially changes this year, then you could argue for Apple to be re-rated downward. If you don't think that changes this year, I think there will be stability in the stock. It's not going to do performance-wise what it did last year. I think that's the most reasonable uh, take to have. But there's no reason to think all of a sudden it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a nosedive just because the calendar rolled over. So, Joe, if we think that there's going to be a reversion and these, some of these lagging sectors are going to be where the money's going to go, at least initially, as we sort of put the wheels to the ground, you know, in, in, in the new year, mm-hmm. eight of 11 S&P sectors underperformed the market. Okay, eight in 2023. The only ones that outperform tech, comp services, and, and discretionary. You have industrials, materials, financials, real estate. Now, they were all positive. They still underperformed. Real estate, healthcare was flat, staples, energy, utilities down. Do we see big pickups in those lagging areas? I see a catch up. Uh, more than anything else. Look, if we're talking about another year in which all I needed to do was own seven stocks to outperform the S&P and to look like an MVP superstar, okay, I'm going to have to live with that environment because that's just not the way I believe that you address a portfolio and you assume the risk. I think owning seven stocks and concentrating in that direction is something that Warren Buffett could do, and he could do it really well because he's got the financial firepower. But I think the most important thing did happen in the fourth quarter with what we heard from the Federal Reserve and the relief that's being indicated towards areas of the market that were reliant on the cost of capital. And that cost of capital continuing to be a moving target was restrictive to those companies. So I think you embrace the broadening out that we saw at the end of the fourth quarter. I don't think you have exuberance towards it and say to yourself, okay, to Josh's point and to Steve and Liz's point, you forget about Apple. I'm going to own Apple. I'm going to own Alphabet. I'm going to own Microsoft. Yeah, this is not a conversation about sell out. Right. It's about trim top. Correct. Right. And I and I've said I believe that you can and should be trimming here because I think from a technical perspective, more than anything else, okay, forget the valuation argument, and I agree with Liz, I don't think valuation is a good indication of where something might or might not be going. But technically, you're talking about stocks. Look at these semiconductor stocks. The semi-stocks are 20 to 30% above their 200-day moving average. Historically, the sweet spot is 11 to 15%. Right. And the space itself, the SMH had its best year in 20 years. Correct. In 2023. 20 years. And I have, I have, I have no issue with someone looking at that and saying, okay, Let's reduce the size of our holding. I did exactly that. I sold out of some of my Broadcom several weeks ago, along with Uber and JP Morgan. I'm comfortable that I, think I did that. A lot of people do that. And, and what's so funny and what's frustrating for the bears, once they do that, they might sit in cash for a couple of days. And then they say, all right, what else do I buy? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they could go buy a small cap value stock. They could go buy, they could go buy a, you know, an $800 million publicly traded thrift bank. How long are they going to sit in that stock when it doesn't do anything? So these names get revisited later on when people say, all right, I did. I I tried the broadening out trade. I bought some other stuff. I picked up some biotechs. 
They don't have a phase three thing for nine months. What am I doing? They go right back into the same 50 names that we've been talking about for the last year. But there's a, I think that that's what the first quarter is going to look like. And th- but there's a simple exercise to, to alleviate that concern, and it's simple. You say to yourself, I'm selling out of something. Okay, what am I doing with the cash? Where am I moving into? What exactly am I well, buying? I know what I bought that, when I sold out of those. That's exactly what I wanted to discuss with Weiss, because if we mention lagging sectors like healthcare, which did nothing, you sold out of Humana. Yeah. Okay, sold yeah. it. So part of my question, I want to know why, but what yeah. are you going to do with the cash? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I sold, I, I wanted to take some losses against the gains. Humana I went into as a trade, as you recall. And, as part of your profitable right, healthcare trade, right. which and, you were trying to ride for much of last yeah. year. So I sold Humana on Friday as well, so I missed the move today. So, you know, you can't, can't catch them all. Uh, but I haven't sold any United Healthcare. And, you know, my intention is to come back to Humana. But first, I want to see what happens with we're in a very highly charged political environment. It typically is a discussion during presidential campaigns. Healthcare typically underperforms in a general election year for that very reason. Both sides are just teeing off on the drug companies (laughs) and uh, about prices, this, that and the other. And that's why those companies traditionally don't do well from a stock standpoint in in GE years. I think some of that underperformance, frankly, was pulled forward. The markets move a lot quicker, they discount a lot sooner, and it's been no secret they underperform in the election years. But there are no positive catalysts either. And then you've got CMS, which who knows what to do with rates. So I thought it was prudent. Bottom line is that it was a loser in the portfolio. I had gains, so how am I going to manage that? So that's why I sold it. I also sold Deer. Deer was a profitable trade, but that was just a trade. I was very clear when I went in. It did very well. Deer has been trading between like 370 and 400. So I caught it. I've caught it each time. And I want to get out of it. I don't believe, and that's because I don't believe the economy is as strong as an Arab in the market. And so I want to take that profit off. So I just thought I want, and I missed that. It's up a little bit today. So I just want to rebalance the portfolio a little bit. I didn't want to wait till when everybody else is doing it. Okay, so that just gives me optionality. So I'm sitting with a lot of cash right now. I do intend to deploy it, but if you take a look where I put some money to work, I did buy Taiwan Semi. That informed the other semis. I'm sure I'm nervous about what China's going to do. I don't think they're going to do anything this year or mm-hmm. next year. They keep the dialogue going. I also bought Transdime. I bought Textron uh, about a week and change ago. So, you know, those to me, the fundamentals are strong and they've been strong and they don't depend on the economy really accelerating and they don't depend on rates, right? Those are fundamental buys. Textron, private jet market, still going very strong. It's not going to weaken. Transdime, as I mentioned the other day, it's 48 you know, separate companies. It's a private equity firm that trades in the public markets. You said, you know, moments ago when we were talking about the, the market outlook for this year, you expected it to be muted. I think that's the word that muted you used. Muted relative to last year, but still historically basically in line. Well, I mean, Oppenheimer, Liz, goes 5,400. They think this is now we're starting year two of this new bull market cycle, and they call that target, quote, probable and even conservative. Hmm. Uh, that's aggressive to me. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it probably assumes, I, I don't want to put words in their mouth, I would imagine it assumes that a lot of the strength that we see right now, both in economic fundamentals and a lot of the price strength that we see in, a, in these bigger sectors, can continue and will continue. And there are a lot of contradictions going on, not only in the market, but in a lot of the economic projections that are happening. If we're expecting six cuts starting in March, that is supposed to happen at a time when the Fed doesn't even expect inflation to be at target by the end of the year. It's hard to understand the math of that. And then the math of earnings growth being 11% when GDP growth is supposed to be below trend for a period of time. Yeah, but the, Fed, the Fed's been surprised on both from? ends of the economic and inflation spectrum yep. as it is now, right? They didn't yep. expect it to be down to where it is, and they didn't expect the economy to be up where it is. Right. So what their own projections are, sort of, you, you could take a little bit it with a grain of salt. Trend would suggest that inflation's coming down fast enough for them to cut multiple times this year, quibble whether it's four, five, six, or what have you. And then you also, if you think we're going to get the 5,400, think that the soft landing trade is, is definitely happening. But here's the thing. If inflation comes down, that's great. If we get inflation lower than the Fed even thinks, that's great. 
the idea of stocks getting up to 5,400 or even beyond would suggest that the economy is still pretty strong. If the economy is still pretty strong, labor market stays tight, GDP growth is stronger than expected, they're not going to cut six times. And right now the market is trading on the idea that cuts start in March and continue mm. at a steady pace. We'll see. I mean, if inflation year. comes down close to target, they will, because I think they've made it clear at this point that they care more about inflation than they do the strong economy. They stopped talking about yep. the economy being too strong. It's more like, well, he left you with the idea, Chair Powell, at the last meeting that solely focused on inflation now. They don't want to they don't want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Right. And if it does come down to target, they have more room to start talking about cutting. I still don't think six is going to happen in that case, because in that case, GDP growth is stronger. And a point that he made in the last meeting was all it does is if the economy stays stronger than we expect, it just lengthens this process out. It makes it more difficult for us to declare victory. It takes longer. It doesn't necessarily cause a problem, but it takes longer, in and which you, case I think you see cuts get pushed back. Real again. quick. Yeah. And, and, and if break. you take a look, the market conditions have eased. Right. So it's easing from the Fred, number one. Number two, just to give you the in a good way, though, in a right? good There's way, no in credit very issues good way. in right. a market support spreads are, right. are really, really, right. really tight. Right. But I just want to put my portfolio in perspective. I'm still going to participate, given my holdings in Meta, Microsoft. I haven't shaved Amazon. I haven't shaved Alphabet, shaved Alphabet because they're big positions. So they're not as big positions as the others. So I'm still going to participate. But I do have cash to deploy. All right, so let's squeeze in a, a quick break. Uh, we got some new ideas for your portfolio as well. We've got a number of calls today. Uh, committee positions are at play, and we'll do those next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Bunch of calls today on committee stocks, so let's start with Uber. Price target raised at Wells Fargo, top pick 2024. Josh, they go to 74 from 64. Stocks had a huge run, as you know, and talked about on numerous occasions. Yeah, look, I, just, I think this is one of the last great TAM stories. If, if uh, the viewers remember, three, three to five years ago, we were obsessed with TAMs. We would talk about these companies with huge valuations and huge growth, and we would wonder, well, how big could this get? Like, maybe this is in some way justified. And we found out, for most companies, it was not justified. But for some, it really was. I, my bet this is one of those companies where the TAM opportunity justifies the stock trading significantly higher in the next year or two. I, I genuinely think mobility, whether we're talking about freight or people or moving food, delivery, whatever you, you know, whatever category within mobility, uh, Uber is number one in most markets. In some markets, it's number two. It already dominates. It has no real competition. And you're talking about like the last trillion dollar TAM. You also happen to have one of the best chief executives of any tech firm anywhere in the world. Uh, Dara deserves a lot more credit than he's getting mm -hmm. for the turnaround here. This is maybe one of the best turnarounds of the decade. I think we'll look back and say, wow, that thing maybe could have looked like Lyft if not for some of the incredible moves that management made. And it was not the founder. He came in and cleaned up a mess before turning it. So I think the stock goes higher. I'm not selling, I'm holding, and uh, let's hope I'm right. Weiss, um, I know, you, I know you, don't, you don't disagree with the total addressable market idea that Josh puts forth. If you just look at plus 138.5% gain in the stock last year, you trimmed it. I did trim it, so it's still a position. It was never a core position. Uh, I, I just don't think it's compelling to cheat now. If you look out over a couple of years, it gets cheap, right? It's going to be trading on a forward multiple two years out in the 20s, which is not expensive. Dara is one of the best CEOs out there. I agree, and I've said that multiple times. What do you make of the capital return story that the analyst is putting out there? It, um, 
it makes sense. I mean, they're buying back stock. They'll buy back a lot more stock. They could buy back They're 20% of this market right. cap in uh, by 2026. Right. I mean, well, that's become the base case for analysts now. Yeah. So it's, it's something Dara's whispered to him and told him that's what we're going to do. And that'll support it. But it's also a question of the beta in my portfolio. So again, this is a portfolio management decision. I'm going to perform just as well if I believe what goes on with Meta, with Microsoft. Maybe not today, but that's not doing so great either today. So I like it. It's also got more consumer exposure that I'm really interested in. I don't believe in the freight story. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of work on freight, and freight, that has to be extremely reliable. And the Uber drivers are not the most reliable, number one. Number two, you want to know your partners on a day-to-day -day basis, not get a new partner. So I actually think they'll probably exit freight rather than build a business there. I, I took a little bit of profit in this name, but, but I, I disagree with you. I think, first of all, as it relates to the consumer, the consumer, this is almost essential to the consumer, uh, both professionally and personally now. This is a company that has absolutely reversed an awful culture with the founder. Yep. This is a company that now has established itself in a position where you're talking about free cash flow generation. And I think the last thing that a lot of people sometimes forget is if, if you are a portfolio manager and you're dedicating capital to particular sectors, where else in the industrial sector can you find three-year revenue growth at 40%? The industrial sector, over the last three years, the revenue growth is 8%. This is an industrial name. It's in the industrial sector, and it's given you 40% revenue growth. That alone is a magnet for portfolio managers to look inside the industrial sector and say, I want to be there. That's a growth name. Do you see, but I don't look at things like that. You look at you things might, like no, no, that. No, you might but not. I don't but look are, at, at what's a sector, what's my weighting the sector going to be. Steve, Steve. I understand I'm not that. criticizing. It's a legitimate way of doing it. It's just not how I run. I look bottoms up fundamental. I look at but which it, I know but you acknowledge do. there is a tremendous amount of capital that does identify those types of without without a doubt. I think it's misplaced. It's really a technology company. It's not an industrial company, in my it's view. A, I think it's consumer discretionary. Hmm. I mean, well, it, it's, well, it's part right, it right. Is, it is a transport. That's why it's in industrials. Obviously, it's transportation. It also obviously is a tech company. But I think, right. like, look look at the actual usage. That is consumer discretionary writ large. That is a consumer saying, hey, you know what? I feel like having a few drinks. Let's Uber home. Which is one of the reasons why I sold it, because I think travel comes down. I don't think we're going to be at peak travel like we've been. So the consumer, the, look, their prices have gone up, and I just think the consumers could be more cautious. Well, speaking of travel, then, booking and Expedia, Joe, you own, you own both, uh, upgraded at Wells. It, it, These are stocks, again, um, booking is up 73% last year. Mm -hmm. Expedia, 69%. Technically overextended, I will acknowledge that. Benefited from a summer travel season that defied expectations. 2024 bookings growth of somewhere around 4 to 5%. If that is achievable, the fundamental story remains in place. Does the market work off some of those technically overbought conditions? Wouldn't be surprised in the least bit, as well as with Airbnb. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hi, Scott. South Korea's opposition leader was stabbed in the neck today by an unidentified attacker. He was touring the site of a proposed airport when a man lunged forward with a knife. The attacker was arrested at the scene, and the opposition leader is said to be recovering in the hospital with injuries to his jugular. Police are reporting no evidence of terrorism in the fatal New Year's Day crash in Rochester, New York. The driver sped toward pedestrians in an SUV full of gas canisters and collided with another car. Two people were killed and several more injured. Officials said the suspect died Monday night from injuries sustained in the crash. And Wonka ended the year in the top spot at the box office. The musical starring Timothy Chalamet collected an estimated $24 million over the New Year's weekend, bringing its total domestic earnings to more than $142 million. Box office sales in 2023 reached $9 billion, which is a post-pandemic best, no doubt helped by Taylor Swift, as was everything in entertainment last year. Scott? Yeah. All right, Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Up next, Bitcoin. Breaking out to start the new year, will one of 2023's best performing, actually the best performing asset class, have an encore in 2024? We'll debate it next.
All right, we're back on the half. Bitcoin breaking out to start the new year. So will the best performing asset class of 2023 see even more gains in 2024? Let's get to Kate Rooney now for our report. Hey, Kate. Hey, Scott. Yeah, that's a big question. So Bitcoin's new bull run, it's being driven by two potential catalysts. So hope for an ETF approval and then something called the halving coming up this spring. So for that long-awaited ETF, the SEC now has a January 10th deadline to approve or reject the Kathy Woods ARC and 21 shares application. Reuters, though, reporting that the SEC could notify issuers as soon as this week on that. And then there are dozens of applications out there, including from heavy hitters like Fidelity and BlackRock. If approved, an ETF could lower the barrier to entry to buy Bitcoin. So some are arguing that that would bring in a wider range of investors and then potentially more institutional interest. Others now say that the upside may have already been priced in at this point. Then you've got something called the Bitcoin halving in April. That's where the new issuance of coin gets cut in half, hence the name halving. It's a way to keep the cap on Bitcoin's supply. And the other driver for Bitcoin, Scott, is the same thing driving tech, falling interest rates, and then some of the return of risk appetite among retail investors. Back over to you. Yeah, let's talk to some retail investors. Kay Rooney, thank you very much for that report. Weiss, you've been long Bitcoin. Yep. So what about what about now? Well, this one I trimmed also on Friday, you know, a, a day too early. Uh, look, I don't believe in Bitcoin. I still see no use case, no end market for it. It's just speculative market, but that's fine. Uh, I'm just not a believer. If I were a believer in Bitcoin, I wouldn't have shaved it. So I basically cut it almost in half. And the reason I did was I think the news is priced in. So you get the approval for the ETF, and then maybe you sell in the news because I'm not the only one that bought it in expectation of ETF approval. And that's been the move from 28,000, which is roughly where I bought it, I bought it almost all of it under 30, to where it is now. Now, the other issue that I had with it is that what if it doesn't get approved? Well, I was thinking that. What if it yeah. doesn't? What if it doesn't if get approved? A surprise, and it then, doesn't. Then, it, then it's toast for a while. So it'll recover because they're just true believers driving. And the third thing is, you don't need an ETF. An ETF is great for multiple positions, but you can buy this, you know, Bitcoin. Now, there'll be a crypto ETF, but as far as Bitcoin goes, it's very easy to buy. You can buy it with no commissions on Fidelity. You can buy it in Robinhood. You can buy it everywhere. So I don't know what an ETF does for Bitcoin itself. Now, well, doesn't it theoretically open it up? It does. I mean, to a, it does. A larger because people pool are so used investors. to buying ETFs at this point. It brings in, will, it brings in right. it There'll brings be in more demand for it, without a doubt. But my point is that I just thought it was prudent for a non-believer to take a lot off the table and book the game. To your point, the, la- the last big... The last big approval, quote unquote, that everyone was waiting for uh, was was futures. Yeah. And that ended up being a negative catalyst. That actually was the top in 2017. December of 2017 in Chicago, they started trading futures on Bitcoin. A lot of people in the lead up were saying, oh, this is so bullish. Actually, that enabled a new level of price discovery. They shorted it to hell and it collapsed to 11,000. So just because we have this catalyst in front of us doesn't guarantee, oh, all of a sudden there's going to be this buying bonanza and there won't be sellers. There'll be plenty of people utilizing the ETFs to express bearish bets. I think those will be overwhelmed in the opening weeks. Yep. But I agree, a lot of this is priced in. And by the way, this ain't even going to be that great of a business. Yeah. BlackRock and Fidelity will carve it up. It'll probably be 25 basis point business inside of 18 months. This is not going to be 1% ETF internal expense ratios as far as the eye can see. And there aren't going to be 10 winners. And the only evidence I have of that is 30 years of publicly traded ETFs. There are not 10 spies. There are not 10 uh, oil ETFs. There are not 50 different versions of the gold ETF. There are not 10 it's Joe one or two. <laughs> but just well, in terms of full disclosure, I may sell the rest of it before that January 10 deadline. I just don't know. I'm still thinking. One of the reasons why the futures failed the way they did is because the extreme volatility didn't marry itself with what the clearinghouses were going to do on margin requirements. So the margin requirements on the Bitcoin futures were so extremely high you had people that weren't able to utilize the futures market in a way in which they could leverage positions like they do with, with bonds or agriculture or oil. Um, the clearinghouses really did a good job in managing the risk and the volatility and placing a strong barrier to entry All right. using margin. Let's, uh, let's squeeze another break in. Uh, we do have bank earnings to look ahead to. Um, a lot of love for City today. Uh, We're going to talk about that as we look ahead to earnings and what the street is saying about the stocks they like the best back after this. 
All right, let's talk some banks because we are looking ahead to earnings. Uh, I said, Liz, a lot of love for Citi today, which we can do specifically separately. But what about this group, uh, which we said was up 10% last year? It's Mm -hmm. green today. Mm -hmm. It's green today as well. So it's part of that. Is money going to go into other areas trade? I think it is part of that. I like financials as a whole. And when you look at some of the things that obviously happened last year, they lagged the broader market, positive year, but lagged the broader market. So the rotation trade is a bit of a tailwind. But then thinking through even the first half of 2024, if things go as we expect or as the market expects, front end of the yield curve comes down as rates start to fall and as the Fed cuts rates. But if the economy doesn't falter terribly, you've still got a cyclicals trade that's intact. You've got the front end of the curve coming down, maybe a re-steepening of the yield okay, curve. Okay, so net interest margin does intact. better That's right. for the banks. If that, City is kind of its happens. own story, though. That's right. City, yeah, well, they've done a lot. Let me just read these two calls yeah, real quick. I'll let you riff on that. Um, Mayo over at Wells, uh, we expect City to double to 100 plus over three years. Uh, raises the price target to 70 bucks from 60, reiterates overweight. Bank of America names it top pick for Q1. Yeah. If you know people that work at City, you know they have five bosses and they are the boss to five rungs below them. They've just had this bloat. Uh, all banks do, but really a legendary amount of bloat. And they're cleaning it all up. And it took a few generations of new CEO, new CEO, new CEO. But now, finally, it looks like they're actually cutting into what they should have been cutting into all this time. And it's probably not popular internally. And if you're a shareholder, you're not necessarily like rooting for people to get laid off, of course. However, uh, there was overhiring. They were in too many businesses where they were number three or number four in that business. You just can't afford to do that anymore. It's a very competitive world, very competitive sector. So they're doubling down on the things they're good at. They're getting out of the things they're not good at. They're uh, reducing headcount. And I think ultimately they have a chance to distinguish themselves from the other big five or six banks for the first time in years because of how extreme this overhaul uh, has become, and extreme in a good way. So I haven't really followed the stock closely, uh, but now I'm starting to because I'm liking how the fundamental news is matching up with the technicals. Unless, Weiss, you know, this ends up being the catch-up year, let's just say, for a Goldman Mm. and a city, which were outperformed by, at least from a stock standpoint, things like J.P. Morgan, which was up 27.5%. You you have Goldman, and there's optimism, uh, certainly from you and others, about that stock going forward, and then Citi is in that group, too. Yeah, so so Goldman, I mean, it's had a nice, you know, last quarter. Uh, As the calendar opens up, and I do think it will, still most bankers I talk to believe it'll be the second half of the year. Like capital markets, Cal, you're talking about. So IPO, secondaries, and of course M&A will pick up as rates come down. Mm -hmm. In terms of city, think about what Jane Frazier did. The easiest thing for her to have done would have been to come in there, right, as soon as she started and saying, we're going to cut this. Efficiency stories are not just about meta and big cap tech. It's also about every business. But what she did was she said, I'm going to take a very measured approach. I'm going to really learn about these business. Strategically, I'm going to decide which are important to us and which aren't important to us. We're too bloated. I'm going to cut back on that. So that's what she did. So she's, be, she's to be commended for taking a very, very you know, critical eye to the business over a long term rather than knee-jerk reaction. We're so you see hey, That's why Farmer Jim loves that stock. That's why right. it's the so one. So I do, too. And, I, and, I mean by, and one of her key lieutenants is a guy I know very well, Tyler Dixon, who runs banking all of investment banking, and he's phenomenal. He's one of the best on the street and also is himself a very good strategic thinker. So I think it's a good story. I'm sorry it's moved up because my intention is to buy it. And, um, you know, I still will. I'd like to sell back a little. All right. So uh, up next, Mike Santoli. He joins us with his first midday word of the new year. We'll do it next. All right, let's talk some banks because we are looking ahead to earnings. Uh, I said, Liz, a lot of love for Citi today, which we can do specifically separately. But what about this group, uh, which we said was up 10 percent last year? It's Mm -hmm. green today. Mm -hmm. It's green today as well. So it's part of that. Is money going to go into other areas trade? 
I think it is part of that. I like financials as a whole. And when you look at some of the things that obviously happened last year, they lagged the broader market, positive year, but lagged the broader market. So the rotation trade is a bit of a tailwind. But then thinking through even the first half of 2024, if things go as we expect or as the market expects, front end of the yield curve comes down as rates start to fall and as the Fed cuts rates. But if the economy doesn't falter terribly, you've still got a cyclicals trade that's intact. You've got the front end of the curve coming down, maybe a re-steepening of the yield okay, curve. So net interest margin does intact. better. That's right. For the banks. If that, City is kind that of its happens. own story, though. That's right. Yeah, well, they've done a lot. Let me just read these two calls yeah, real quick. I'll let you riff on that. Um, Mayo over at Wells, uh, we expect City to double to 100 plus over three years. Uh, raises the price target to 70 bucks from 60, reiterates overweight. Bank of America names it top pick for Q1. Yeah. If you know people that work at City, you know they have five bosses and they are the boss to five rungs below them. They've just had this bloat. Uh, all banks do, but really a legendary amount of bloat. And they're cleaning it all up. And it took a few generations of new CEO, new CEO, new CEO. But now, finally, it looks like they're actually cutting into what they should have been cutting into all this time. And it's probably not popular internally. And if you're a shareholder, you're not necessarily like rooting for people to get laid off, of course. However, uh, there was overhiring. They were in too many businesses where they were number three or number four in that business. You just can't afford to do that anymore. It's a very competitive world, very competitive sector. So they're doubling down on the things they're good at. They're getting out of the things they're not good at. They're uh, reducing headcount. And I think ultimately, they have a chance to distinguish themselves from the other big five or six banks for the first time in years because of how extreme this overhaul uh, has become, and extreme in a good way. So I haven't really followed the stock closely, uh, but now I'm starting to because I'm liking how the fundamental news is matching up with the technicals. Unless, Weiss, you know, this ends up being the catch-up year, let's just say, for a Goldman Mm. and a city, which were outperformed by, at least from a stock standpoint, things like J.P. Morgan, which was up 27.5%. You have Goldman, and there's optimism certainly from you and others about that yep. stock going forward, and then City is in that group, too. Yeah, so um, so Goldman, I mean, it, it's had a nice, you know, last quarter. Uh, as the calendar opens up, and I do think it will, still most bankers I talk to believe it'll be the second half of the year. Like capital markets, Cal, you're capital talking markets, about. Capital markets, so IPO, secondaries, yeah. and of course M&A will pick up as rates come down. Mm-hmm. In terms of City, think about what Jane Frazier did. The easiest thing for her to have done would have been to come in there, right, as soon as she started and saying, we're going to cut this. Efficiency stories are not just about meta and big cap tech. It's also about every business. But what she did was she said, I'm going to take a very measured approach. I'm going to really learn about these business strategically. I'm going to decide which are important to us and which aren't important to us. We're too bloated. I'm going to cut back on that. So that's what she did. So she's be she's to be commended for taking a very, very you know critical eye to the business over a long term rather than knee jerk reaction. We're so you see. Hey, that's why Farmer Jim loves that stock. That's why right. it's the so one. So I do too, and I and I mean by it. And one of her key lieutenants is a guy I know very well, Tyler Dixon, who runs banking all of investment banking, and he's phenomenal. He's one of the best on the street and also is himself a very good strategic thinker. So I think it's a good story. I'm sorry it's moved up because my intention is to buy it. And, um, you know, I still will. I'd like to sell back a little. All right. So uh, up next, Mike Santoli. He joins us with his first midday word of the new year. We'll do it next.
Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli with his first midday word of the new year. Happy New Year to you. And today really tees up the question of this early part of the new year, whether you're going to see continued selling in mega caps and the big winners and some of the buying of the perceived losers. Yeah, it seems almost a little bit too tidy that we see it so stark, continuing like it is today. It seems like a little bit of a of a first day of the tax year shakeout. So I'd like to see how it develops. My main working premise is I doubt this year is going to be quite as stark about either it's the 7 or it's the 493, either it's the mega caps or it's the small caps. But we'll see how that goes. The other thing is pretty encouraging. You've gotten some internal bid in the market over the, as, over the course of the morning. So mm-hmm. uh, clearly people didn't take the weakness in the biggest uh, stocks to say, that somehow the, the tone has changed overall. Yeah, I mean, you've seen the, the VIX, which was up, I don't know, 13 14%. That's uh, the fevers come off a tiny bit there. Russell had some buying there. It's yes. up a, a quarter of a percent or so. And uh, you have some money moving to the Dow. So about yeah. half the sectors in the S&P are up. Yeah, so it was a little bit of mechanical open. I, I think I heard you say something about a percentage move in the VIX there, but I, that stuff sounds like... Uh, static in my ears. But yes, you had, you did have uh, that kind of after a big long holiday weekend effect, uh, a little bit of a bid. So it's wait and see. I'm just interested also to see if yields really do uh, have any lift to them. So far, it's a modest move. You were confused. that You thought I said percentage move in interest rates. Yeah, exactly. Your other pet peeve. I'll see you on Closing right. Bell. Mike Santoli, finals are next. Kick this market around on closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. And I hope you'll join me then. Dan Greenhouse, Lauren Goodwin, and then one of the biggest bulls of 2023, John Mowry, is back with his look ahead for stocks. I'll see you all then, a couple hours. All right, final trades. Mr. Weiss. Trans time, for the reasons that I said, is just a steady performance should do well in this market. Okay, Joey T. Goldman Sachs looking very attractive to me. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Looks like the veal palm Liz, on Christmas Eve. Liz Young? Ooh, yum. Financials, uh, for the same reasons I already mentioned, plus some M&A activity pickup. All right, Josh? Joe distracted me by saying veal palm <laughs> at lunchtime. Uh, PayPal, look at it. It's green. All right. What's not to love? All right, good stuff. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.